The payoff pitch on the way. Swung out of this. Strike three. He's done it. Johan Santana has pitched a no-hitter. Put it in the box. In the history box. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to the Mets Baseball Carnival. This is episode three. And I'm your host, Zach. And I'm joined by my co-host tonight, Joe. Joe, it's been, we did the math earlier, it's been 48 days, or you did the math, I should say. It's been 48 days since our, our last episode. A lot has changed since then. How How's everything on your end? Good, man. Yeah, for, 48 days. Uh, a lot has happened um, on the field, off the field. Um, more excited about the stuff off the field than I, than I think... Uh, Myself and, and you included, and many Met fans have been about this, the the performance on the field, but uh, we'll we'll get into that in, in a few minutes. Yeah, it's definitely it's been uh, a very eventful month on and off the field since our last episode. I mean, the last episode we were we were talking about the Cespedes opt out, and that feels like ages ago since that happened. Uh, I think we're almost better off that that happened. Uh, we've seen some some players break out since then. But uh, before we get to uh, the current state of the team and some of the players, uh, a few other things we want to touch upon first. Obviously, the Mets family, they lost um, a huge piece of their family um, within the past few weeks here in Tom Seaver. Probably going to go down as one of, if not the best pitcher in Mets history. Um, Obviously, a huge part of this organization and it's just sad to kind of see the the decline in health for for Tom, and um, just kind of the way the Mets handled it. Obviously, like they announced they were going to do the statue to honor him once um, once his diagnosis was made public, which was kind of unfortunate that they that's the timing was poor timing on the Mets part, which they're they're known for their poor timing. But um, yeah, I mean he's just he's just one of the best pitchers in Mets history. Obviously, we're, I mean, not every, our listeners don't know us personally and our age and everything, but he was a little bit before our time, me and you, Joe, um, Seaver. So I did not get to see him pitch. Obviously, we've seen highlights and everything, but what are your what are your thoughts on Seaver and the type of pitcher that he was? Yeah, it's sad news coming at the end of August. Um, as you alluded to it, he, he really belonged to our fathers. Um, uh, my dad was able to see him pitch. Um, that he's someone that I wish I was able to see live. I've since his passing, I watched several of his starts, um, on YouTube and just to watch him to drop and drive, drag that back right knee was, uh, something special and the stuff that he had and his longevity. Uh, I mean, you, you look at some of his, his stats, uh, he went 311 games, struck out over six, uh, 3,600 batters a sub three ERA for a career um, uh, elected to the hall of fame in 1992 uh, five votes shy of uh, unanimous. And at the time, I think up until I think Griffey Griffey or either Rivera was the highest um, uh, voting percentile or percentage for the hall of fame vote. And rightfully so. I mean, just not, not just a great ball player, but a great man in general. And he was really the franchise, Tom Terrific, and he's going to be missed by the Met family. And it's it's a shame that it's uh, we've gone this long without having something to really commemorate him as a ball player, not just for the Mets, but the game of baseball and to the Mets family. And, and the Wilpons have not done what they should have done years ago, 
and put a statue in Flushing of Tom Seaver. Yeah, I wonder if there was any bad blood between the Wilpons and Seaver dating, dating back years and years ago, which kind of prevented that from happening until now. Who knows? I mean, I feel like the Wilpons have bad blood with a lot of people, but like you said, it's a, it's a shame that it's taken this long for them to honor him, but um, just a great pitcher, great person, um, and yeah, it's just, it was definitely a tough day um, when that news broke a couple weeks ago. So we uh, give our condolences to the Seaver family. I know they're probably not listening to our podcast, but um, but yeah, uh, it's a sad day, sad time for the Mets family with uh, the passing of Mr. Seaver. Um, on to some other more exciting news. Um, we've talked about it before in, a, in our previous episodes about the, uh, the state of the Mets and the ownership group. And since our last episode, we were, we were talking about how they were in the, the second stage of the bid bidding process the last episode, and they've reached a conclusion, and it looks like the sale has gone to Mr. Steve Cohen, and um, that's very exciting news for Mets fans. I know Joe is very excited over there. Joe put out a tweet that went viral <laughs> talking about uh, they're going to rename the uh, the Pepsi porch over there or the Coca-Cola porch, whatever it is now. They're going to rename the porch Cohen's Corner, and now they can do that. But I've never, I haven't seen a tweet like that go viral in a while, so that was pretty funny. But um, I need to get your thoughts because you've been tracking the sale. You've been tracking some, uh, some of the business insiders who have got the inside scoop here. It looks like it's all but official. I guess we're just waiting for um, a vote once the owners meet. Do you think this is going to pass? And do you think there's going to be any hiccups? Or is this looking like uh, Steve Cohen's the next owner of the Mets here? I think Steve Cohen's the next owner of the Mets here. Um, I, I don't think that this is going to be any type of... Uh, there's going to be any type of surprise or letdown from the perspective of the owners. A rising tide lifts all ships and... Steve Cohen purchased the Mets for $2.4 billion with a B in the middle of a global pandemic where reports are, are, were out that the Mets were going to lose as a franchise $200 million this year. And he came in and said, I don't care about that. I'm going to buy the Mets. And he did. It, it was a long process. Um, you go back to the end of December into the back end of the winter when he was having his initial conversations with the Wilpon and Katz family, which, as we know, fell apart over the five years of control and the um, the inability for Cohen to take ownership of the team right away. And I think being patient as Met fans, I think it's really paid off, not just for us and, and what we can now be excited for from a future perspective with new ownership. Um, I think Cohen and his patience paid off as well. I think he came in 300 or 400 million shy of what his initial offer was, which is great for him. Yeah. So he's going to walk away with 95% of the team. The Wilpons will maintain a 5% ownership stake. Now, I don't think that's anything to worry about. Cohen did have an 8% stake prior to his purchase, and he had no say in baseball operations. So. Um, I think the Will Ponds maintaining a 5% stake is for um, uh, more just to stay connected to the team within the family. So, um, 
Yeah, the last thing we're, we're waiting on now is is MLB ownership approval, which is expected to take place um, at the earliest. Reports are conflicting, but at the latest, they're saying sometime in November when the MLB, MLB owners have their typical owners meeting. But it might be expedited sooner given the planning of MLB budgets for the following season, personnel planning that takes place almost immediately immediately after the season ends for the particular ball club. So um, more to come from that front, though we did get some uh, some really interesting news today, um, Sunday, being that Sandy Alderson could be one of the executives within the front office, as reported by not my favorite person, uh, Andy Martino, but it's also been confirmed by John Heyman and others that Sandy might be joining this ball club in the front office, which as a Met fan is super exciting. Uh, Zach, what are your thoughts on Sandy being part of this ball club again? I love it. Um, I mean, Sandy is a huge part of the, the core of this team right now is because of Sandy. I mean, he drafted Conforto. He um, made some of the he made the Cindergard trade. He made the Zach Wheeler trade. Obviously, Wheeler's not with us anymore. But I mean, we saw some some major wheeling and dealing from Al- Alderson. Uh, we saw some good drafting um, from Sandy. And uh, was the Kalenic pick? Was that one of Alderson's last picks? I think it was. Right. That was yeah, 2018. One yeah. of his last. So that was one of his picks. He did pick Dom Smith in the first round. Um, he was there for McNeil being picked up as well. Um, obviously, um, DeGrom, Lugo, Peterson. I mean, he, he had a huge influence in a ton of these guys and them getting up to the big leagues and having success. So I think the guy, he knows what he's talking about. He knows how to run a team uh, well. It's, it's not his fault that a lot of those guys didn't perform to the best of their abilities when he was there. But I think it'll be great to have him back. Apparently, him and Steve Cohen are actually very close. Um, so it's not surprising to a lot of people in the industry that these two might be a match. Um, it doesn't sound like Alderson will be the GM, though. Um, but just some type of, whether it be a special advisor, or another prominent role in the front office. But I think it'll be a great fit. I mean, we saw that with uh, with Omar Minaya. He's back with the team now. He's not a GM, but he does have a, a pretty big influence um in the front office over there especially with um international and everything so i think it'll be great to have sandy back and uh obviously he kind of left because of his health and hopefully his health is is back to where it should be and he's fully healthy and he can do uh, a great job for this team so that was awesome news today to uh to hear so hopefully if we can can slot him into the president of baseball operations or some type of special advisor to um cohen and a potential other president of baseball operations i think that'd be fantastic so yeah. and uh, as you said he's maintained a close rela- relationship with cohen uh cohen being part of the board of uh being on the board for the mets sandy had to address that board on multiple occasions and i think he clearly left an impression on on steve cohen yeah i'm curious what do you think Steve Cohen's going to be like as an owner. Do you think he's going to be very hands-on more so than the Wilpons? Um, I mean, obviously he's got the money that he's prepared to spend, but do you think he's going to be involved in a lot of these day-to-day operations and very hands-on? What do you think? That's a good question. Um, I, 
this is very much a hobby for Steve Cohen. And I think he's made that known, um, maybe not specifically with the Mets situation, but in, in, in watching prior interviews um, of Steve, uh, he has his hobbies. Uh, the most prevalent one that we know to date is his art collecting. And he really goes all in when, when he really sets his mind to something. And, and he's very passionate about his hobbies, which for us is, is very exciting and reassuring. Now, what type of owner is he going to be? I think that's to be determined. And, and I think we'll find out relatively soon. I think he's someone who's not going to rest on his laurels. I think he's going to make some strong, decisive moves right out of the gate. Um, they may not be the moves that we are expecting as it relates to any subtractions from the front office. But he's, I think he's going to come in. He, If I had to be a betting man, um, especially with the news with, with Sandy Alderson uh, Sunday night, he has a game plan in mind. And I think he's going to be quick to deploy that game plan. Yeah, it's it's going to be so much fun as Mets fans to uh, see how this whole thing unravels here. Or um, yeah, it's just a very exciting time to be a Mets fan. Um, even though this season hasn't really gone as we have hoped, um, let's kind of dive into the team right now, just in terms of where we're at and the possible playoffs. Obviously, um, we are not having such a great season here. Uh, it's it's rather disappointing. We saw the the photos and videos <laughs> of the fire in the outfield today um, at City Field, and it, it's just kind of symbolic of the season that we've had so far. So the Mets they're they're in fourth place right now, um, twenty four and twenty nine as of today. And they're two and a half right back, two and a half games back right now of the wild card. And um, there's a three-way tie for that eighth spot in the wild card right now. And it's just, it's not, it's not completely out of the question, but it just feels very unlikely. And it almost just feels like they don't deserve it. I mean, this team, their offense. I mean, they have a ton of offensive firepower. And uh, they should be able to out-hit most of these lineups, but it's just their pitching has just been so poor. I mean, other than DeGrom, maybe a good outing from Peterson or Lugo here and there. But other than that, like, their pitching has just been brutal. And it's 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 kind of the reason that they are at the bottom of the standings right now. Do you think, Joe, there is any chance we could sneak in to, this playoff, to the playoffs? And if we do... Can we make any noise or do you think it's just out of the question and we're just looking forward to 2021 here? Yeah, I think it's out of the question. Uh, we mentioned before we were off the air for 48 days. Uh, across those 48 days, the Mets played two games under 500. So I don't have any um, any any confidence that they'll play above 500 as they wind down the season. I think we have seven games to go as of this evening and uh, being two and a half games out and having to leapfrog three teams, it's, uh, it's a tall order. Anything's possible over the course of uh, a week's worth of play. And uh, we might sneak in. And I think if we do, I think we do have the offense that you alluded to that can keep us in a ball game. It does come down to the pitching and uh, a healthy DeGrom a healthy Seth Lugo and a David Peterson who Sunday or not Sunday, but uh, on Saturday yeah. threw an incredible, incredible outing. I think his breakout outing uh, as a major leaguer 
six innings, 10 strikeouts. His breaking ball was absolutely filthy. And he showcased a lot of the confidence and swagger on the mound that we, we expected from him. I don't know if you caught this or if any Met fans have caught that on Saturday, but when he would register a strikeout, he had this, this pirouette coming off the mound, um, which was, uh, for me, really funny and interesting. Um, and I think that just showcases his confidence out there when, when he's right. He, he knows that he belongs and he can get anyone out with this stuff. So, look, if we can get a DeGrom, Lugo, Peterson, one, two, three rotation going into the playoffs, I think anything can happen, to be honest. And Lugo's, he's, uh, he's stretched out. Um, he did have a, a subpar outing against the Phillies in his last outing, but prior to that, he I think he threw 91 or 92 pitches. So he is, um, he's there that he can, he can throw 100 and, and go six or seven innings. So um, I think if we can if we can sneak in and it would really be sneaking in, I think we could make some noise. And, and this offense has been spectacular the entire season, top of the league in a lot of the the key metrics. It's just been the pitching that's really let us down and. Um, uh, I'd, anything can happen though. So, I mean, hopefully we get in and I'd like to have some, some fireworks going into, uh, into October, but we'll see. Yeah. They've had a good season offensively. And of course today they didn't do anything. They couldn't get, they could barely get one hit off of Kyle Wright, who is just known to just be all over the place right now. Um, so yeah, Kyle Wright and the Braves, they three hit the Mets on Sunday here, and they couldn't get anything done offensively. So there's days where they can put up 10-plus, and then there's days where they just can't do a thing. So it's it's frustrating. That really hasn't changed from this team. But like you said, it, it all comes down to pitching. Peterson, if he can stay healthy, hopefully those shoulder issues are behind him. And Seth Lugo, I mean, we'll get into this in a little bit here about Lugo. But do you happen to know, was his, was his velocity down the other day at all during that poor outing? Or just no, you know, I, I didn't control notice. Issues? I didn't notice. He just he just he didn't look right out there. Um, yeah. And it I showed I he was tipping he threw, his pitches or anything. But see, I don't know. I, he, he claims he wasn't. I think it's more mechanical uh, than anything. Uh complete 180 from what we had seen from Garrett Cole regarding his pitch tipping and, and batters being awfully comfortable in the box against him. I think he was almost in tears a couple of weeks ago in a, in a post-game presser regarding uh, batters being comfortable. And uh, Lugo was a complete opposite. I think he was just saying, it, it's on me. I wasn't pitching well. And I think it's a mechanical issue for him. And um, hopefully he can sort it out because going into that into his fifth start, because he's, he's now started five games, uh, he was pitching very well, and it just came down to stretching him out. And uh, he was right, right for, uh, right for a, a good outing, being fully stretched out. And he just happened to just throw two innings and, and give up about six earned runs. So, but I didn't, I didn't notice anything about his velocity being down. Yeah, we'll touch on Lugo in a little bit here, uh, a little bit more in depth. But let's let's touch upon some of the uh, the offensive breakouts for this season here. The first name, I think, the biggest standout. Uh, this season has been has been Dom Smith, and um, I think one of the biggest things with Dom Smith is um, he owes a lot to Yoannis uh, Cespedes for opting out because if he didn't opt out, playing time was going to be an issue for Dom. Um, he would have seen starts a couple starts a week probably, whether it be a first, left, or DH, but he's just getting consistent at bats every day now. 
he's getting more reps at first base too with Alonzo going to DH and struggling a little bit. But Dom Smith right now, he's just he's just absolutely raking. He's he's seventh in the league in, in batting average at um at three twenty-three. He is fourth in OPS with a OPS of sorry, my computer is being very slow. Um uh, over a thousand, a thousand and six OPS here. On base percentage of 385. He's fourth in the league in RBIs right now at 41. Uh, he's got nine homers to date. He just looks he looks fantastic at the plate. He's uh, a middle of the order bat. His defense at first base is, is is very very good. Left field is still somewhat questionable, and they have some decisions to make in the future about what they're going to do at first base. But I mean. Don Smith was a first-round pick a few years ago from Sandy Alderson. I don't know if we really ever expected this offensive explosion. I don't know how the, if this would be sustainable in a 162-game season, but in a 60-game season, he looks fantastic, and he might even possibly get some MVP votes. Um, it might hurt because he has another player. There's another player that we're going to touch upon a little bit on the Mets that might take some of those votes away from him. But, I mean, Dom Smith just looks like a force offensively. What have you seen from Dom this year that, that you're liking, and do you think it's it's sustainable moving forward? I think he's having fun. I think he's really comfortable and, and knowing that he's getting the playing time. Um, at the time when Cespedes opted out, it, it, it made major headlines, and, and it was, I think we... Uh, it's turned out to be a blessing in disguise. I think we were really hoping that Cespedes would be on this team and, and perform with the incentive laden contract that he was, uh, that he restructured due to his run-ins with a wild boar, um, in the off season about a year and a half ago, two years ago. So, um, we thought he was primed for a, a season, which he was hungry. And it turns out that he would rather opt out, um, for health reasons and, uh, I think he he made the right call for himself and his family, but it did open the door for several players, and one being Dom Smith, and he's really taken the opportunity and run with it. Um, he's run to second base, he's run to third base. I mean, he's a he's an extra base machine um, this season, and I, I think that it is sustainable for him. And that he had a really incredible minor league career. I think we knew that he had this in him. It came down to playing time and. Um, with the emergence of Pete Alonso, uh, we knew that it was going to take away from Dom Smith and his ability to be on the field and performing on an everyday basis. And I think if we can have that going into the future, I, I think it's sustainable. I think he's got that 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 nice, crisp, easy swing that is easily replicated, and he just puts the barrel on the ball. So I, I think as long as um, he's out there having fun, getting reps every single day, I think you're, you're going to see this type of play moving forward. Yeah, like you said, I mean, one of the, the biggest things that goes unnoticed is it just looks like he's having fun. You saw Cesped, you see Cespedes, you see Cano just lollygagging out in the field and like not hustling uh, to first. I mean, it's that's not a, an issue with Dom Smith. Like he just is enjoying to be out there. He's getting the opportunity, and he seems very grateful for that. So it's great to see. And a lot of the, uh, I mean, the counting stats are great right now, but a lot of the StatCast metrics support uh, the numbers uh, that he's put up so far. I mean, he's in the 85th percentile of hard hit rate, 88th percentile in barrel percentage, 94th percentage of expected batting average. 
So the numbers that he's putting up, it does seem like it is sustainable according to these stat cast metrics. So I really think we're seeing a breakout from Dom Smith and, and Dom has become a, uh, a fixture of this lineup moving forward. Yeah. And what really is, uh, what really is impressive to me is his attitude going back to even last season uh, with the emergence of Pete Alonso breaking the rookie home run record being dubbed the next face of this franchise, which he very well can be and and I think will be, Dom could have easily packed it in. And I think very he true. was the biggest supporter of Pete and the season that he had. And I, I mean, these guys are friends. I, I would probably go as far as saying they're best friends. And they feed off of each other. And uh, But as I said, what impressed me most is that Dom didn't pack it in. He did not. Uh, he always had a, a smile on his face. He was always there for Pete and the rest of the team. And, and he's now getting the opportunity to, to do that, but also be on the field every day. And, and we're, we're seeing the product of his personality and the skill set that he, that he possesses. Yep. Well said. Yeah. It's going to be fun to watch him for years to come here. Um, another bat that has been very impressive so far is the bat of Michael Conforto. Um, we've heard how he can't hit lefties, and he's been such a streaky player over the past years, which is is true. But he's definitely he's made some swing changes. You could tell his hands are a little bit lower. Uh, uh, his batting stance definitely looks different at the plate. He looks a lot more comfortable, and he is hitting lefties much better this year. And he's just a force in the middle of this order. He's been getting reps in the three-hole, sometimes the two-hole. Uh, it's great to see him at the top of this order and right in the middle of the order. Uh, but Conforto right now, he's he just looks fantastic. He's sixth in the NL in batting average at 328 and fifth in the NL in on-base percentage at 419. I mean, those are the two things that he just does best. I mean, the guy knows how to take a walk. He's going to consistently be up there in uh, the OBP leaderboards. But I think the average is just a little unexpected this year, and it's great to see. He also has nine homers, 31 ribbies. Um, He looks great. Uh, He might get some MVP votes as well. Um, He's fighting for the batting title. He's kind of struggled the past few days, so that probably puts him out of – out of that race, uh, you got Freddie Freeman and Juan Soto at the top. <laughs> Travis Darno is also up there. Travis Darno, oh my God, I still can't believe that. I mean, he must have had such a great time uh, spanking the Mets this weekend. Um, but that's for another topic of discussion. What are your thoughts on uh, on Conforto and the season he's put together, Joe? It's been impressive. Um, what's been really fun is, is seeing him uh, really just attacking the ball and and going to the left center field gap and uh, I think it's it's been said since day one when Conforto's right he's hammering the ball to the left center field gap and he's going opposite field and he's been doing it with power and and he is he's been locked in for this entire season and we're seeing it with the slash line that he's been able to put up and 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 being part of the MVP discussion um, he's a guy that I think we've this is not that it's a surprise that he's having a surprise season. I think he's always had it in him. I think it's been him being on the field every day against righties, against lefties. He's got one of the, the most compact left-handed swings that the what what most people think would be a disadvantage against a left-handed batter or pitcher. He's he has the the 
the coverage of the plate of the ball and the, the knowledge of the strike zone to be able to overcome any type of disadvantage for a breaking ball away or, or change up away or anything that works against them from that 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 lefty lefty matchup and um it's just it's for him it's just it's been getting at bats at bats every single day and he's, he's showing what he's really capable of and he's he's one of the guys that uh cohen i believe is gonna have to um kind of hand him a blank check at some point in the future but uh, i believe he's a, a boris client uh which does work against us in, in some way but uh, he's having a heck of a season and i think this is something that that as with Dom is easily replicated for 2021 and beyond. So um, I'm, I'm excited. I mean, it's, it's, he's really breaking out and uh, I think he's going to be able to, to, to sustain it. So. Yeah. I mean, I think Conforto, uh, the big thing is, like you said, he's getting the playing time he's getting everyday reps, which is something that the Mets, they did mess with him uh, early in his career was sitting against lefties. He's not able to get those reps. I feel like he was a little pull happy early in his career against lefties. And now that he knows that he can go, uh, go to left center, go to left with power or even just, uh, just hitting for contact to left field. I mean, that that's really all he needs in some of those scenarios. So the fact that he can hit lefties now and um, they're giving him the opportunity every day and they're hitting him like third, like that's such a great spot in the order for him, like instead of fifth or sixth. I mean, I know there's a lot of lefty firepower in that order, but Conforto really needs to be locked into that three or I, I like the three or four hole for Conforto. Um, but what you said also, um, I think one of the first thing that Cohen needs to do is he really needs to try and lock him up. We saw what the Mets did with DeGrom in terms of locking him up. I mean, I don't have the exact numbers, but it was, what, maybe like 125, 150 mil uh, for five years. Uh, but imagine if DeGrom hit free agency at the end of this year. I mean, after what Garrett Cole got last year, over 300 mil. I mean, it's a bargain for the Mets what they got DeGrom for. I mean, we need to be able to do that with Conforto as well. I mean, Conforto obviously deserves um, a huge payday here. But um, being able to lock him up now, I think, would be huge for this team. Yeah, and it's not just his play at the, at the play, but it's his play in the field. He's, he's made some really impressive defensive uh yeah. defensive uh, plays going back on balls uh throwing guys out at second and throwing guys out at third I, he's really an incredible all-around player and um to, to bring it back to the, the left-handed pitching uh getting at bats it, it's been about having consistency i think he's always known that he can go to the opposite field against a good lefty it's just been about repetition and now that he's getting the repetition we're seeing the fruits of uh, his everyday play. So, I wonder if um, it's like almost a relief and a burden off his shoulder that they're not trying him out in center field anymore. I feel like that was weighing heavily on him, and he is a corner outfielder. I mean, it was it was great that he was willing to play center field for the team because they don't have this; they still don't have a true center fielder. But I think that maybe weighed heavily on him, and it's kind of a relief now that he doesn't have to worry about that. Yeah, I, I think he hit the nail on the head. Um, I think he can be comfortable in right field knowing that's where he's going to play and he's going to be playing every day. So I, I think that does a lot for a ball player's mentality. And I think he is as comfortable as he can be from a mental aspect. So, yeah. Yeah, good stuff with Conforto. It's, it's great to see him uh, finally breaking out. We've been kind of waiting for this for the past few years. Um, another player that we'll talk about here is is Jeff McNeil. He's uh, 
<laughs> he's finally heating up, and I've uh, I, I just we tweeted he's about been hot. This. He's not heating up. He's been hot. <laughs> he's been hot for this whole month. But the thing that I just don't understand, I'm going to go off on a tangent here. Um, I don't understand why he's still batting seventh. I get it that he's put up good numbers from the seven hole, but he was he was struggling. I mean, July, he really wasn't struggling that much. He batted 296 in July. That's that's very good for him. Really, August is kind of what killed him. Batting 258, getting on base 32% of the time. No power in July or August. And then September comes along. He, uh, I think he homered in four straight games. He's got four homers, 13 ribbies. He's batting 406 with a 486 on base percentage in September. And he's still batting in the seventh hole. This is one of your best hitters. This is one of your best contact hitters. This is a guy that really should be in the two hole in the top top half of the order. And he, he wasn't great early on uh, he was still getting on base like uh 35 of the time when he was batting in the two hole but um we talked about this earlier joe and he's he's been productive out of the seventh hole batting 396 with the 491 obp but he definitely has made a swing change or something uh, within the past month he's kind of figured some things out and he's just taken off and i think it's time to put one of your best hitters back at the top of the order and especially the thing that really bothers me is when he has amazing numbers against the opposing pitcher and he's still at the bottom of the order for example jake arietta he's got amazing lifetime numbers against arietta and they still had him batting seventh why would you not put him whether it be lead off or in the two hole even the three hole just give him the chance to get an extra at bat against arietta and that's something that they did not end up doing and uh that could have hurt them i think they lost that game inevitably to Arietta and the Phillies and it's been a few times now but this is a hitter who's figured things out it's a short season obviously guys are gonna it's gonna take some guys maybe a little bit longer to figure things out but this guy needs to be moved up in the order what, what are your thoughts talk talk about a tangent um <laughs> it's, it's ridiculous it's been blowing my mind <laughs> yeah you're getting heated man um see I, look I, early in the season he was batting in the in the leadoff role and in the two hole and he wasn't performing and i think the mets have really honed in on something batting him seventh um i think uh i think they're of the belief if it isn't broken don't fix it uh in the seven hole he's slashing and these these stats might be a little bit stale but he's slashing 396 491 688 which is incredible and he's done most of that as of late uh he's made 13 starts batting seventh which over uh which is the most uh at bats he's had in, in that in that spot but, but when he's batting leadoff he was he was slashing 256 286 436 and then when he's batting second he was slashing 237 354 289 so i think they've really they've really not that they've caught fire but i think they they see that he's been productive in the seventh spot and i think that's where they've kept him it has taken potential at bats away over the course of a 14 week span if you extrapolate out 13 games if you want to do um across a, a two-week span that there are, are at bats that he's leaving that they're leaving off the table and hits that they're leaving off the table and, and they may have or may not have made a difference in a ball game but we won't know right so 
I just I think that the he's comfortable there. He's been able to produce there, and um, it may be advantageous for them to maybe move him if he's hot enough that he can sustain it, batting leadoff or, or batting second as we try to to make a run for the playoffs over the course of the next seven games. But I, I get it. Like being two and a half games out, seven to play. Uh, going into Sunday, I think there were maybe a game and a half out. Still the same scenario, ha- having to leapfrog three teams to get to the eighth uh, and final wild card spot. I, I think, I, I mean, I'm of the belief if, if he's hot and you're kind of, you may not be playing for something of subs- of substance, keep him there, keep him confident, and going into the offseason and into spring training in 2021, and he knows that he's he's a big league ball player, and and. If he sustained that that two thirty seven average and and slugging two eighty nine over the course of a sixty game season, what would it have done for his psyche going into twenty twenty one? I mean, do you have any thoughts on like what that would have done to his like mentality? We may have seen like a severe setback for this guy. So I mean, I think it's all positive keeping him batting seventh. Um, but again, yeah, maybe he should be batting at the top of the lineup, and we're losing at bats. But I don't know. I, I like him being able to hit and hit well. So, I disagree. Respectfully. Oh, I agree. I disagree. (laughs) So, the past week or so, we have been playing for something. The playoffs have been up for grabs. We could have easily have made some noise and tried to grab that spot. And I get it. His numbers out of the two hole this season have not been great. But I think those numbers are skewed. Those numbers, the July and August numbers, they weren't great. He was not the same hitter those two months that he is now he's clearly made some swing changes and he's a different hitter now i think they need i think those numbers are skewed and i think they need to move him back up he's just he's hitting he's seeing the ball much better and you need to have your best hitters at the top of this order you need to be producing runs you need to back up these pitchers by scoring runs and he may score some runs knocking some runs out of the seven hole but they need him at the top of this order so i get what you're saying about him putting up mediocre numbers in the two hole, but I think those numbers are skewed and I don't think it means anything at this point. He's a different hitter now than when he was the past two months. Look, I don't disagree. And and maybe this is, this is the, uh, the Brody Van Wagenen, Jeff Wilpon approach that um, is maybe keeping him in the seven hole and, and, and not putting this team in the best position to succeed on a day in day out basis. And maybe I'm falling in line with what they're thinking as, as it relates to keeping him bat in seventh. But, um, I don't know. I mean, if that's the case, and and if if Brody says he's been producing at the seven hole, and we're going to keep him in the seven hole, I mean that does take away a substantial number of at bats over the course of a two week period, and and over the course of a three week period, right? So, nope. I don't know. I mean, I, I don't completely disagree with you, and and wanted to put him up in the in the top of the lineup, but maybe it's just it, we're we're seeing why Brody and Jeff Wilpon are not <laughs> great at what they do. I mean, I don't think Rojas is having too much influence on where these guys are batting. I think that's across the league. It's been more of a GM kind of controlled day in, day, op- day, day, in, day out operation as it relates to the lineup. But um, yeah, maybe, maybe it's just the advanced stats are saying he's got about seventh, he's got about seventh, and then maybe they're just running with it. And it's, it could be costing the team wins. I mean, it's very plausible. Yeah. And if we miss the playoffs by a game or two, which is looking like it is very likely, uh, I think that is uh, definitely part of the blame there. Uh, I think they could have 
easily have had another couple of wins under their belt if they made that change to move him up in the order. But we'll never know. Uh, I still think it's a, a poor decision on their part. But anyway, on to some other topics here. Um, one of the other hitters we want to discuss here is, is Alonzo. He's really struggling. Uh, it's actually really been very difficult to watch. I mean, he's hitting 207 right now. Uh, he's striking out a ton. He's got 12 homers. Great. Um, I think you were saying like over a full season. I mean, you're still looking at a potential 40 home run bat there. But uh, just the strikeouts. I mean, he's striking out 25% of the time, which is well above league average right now. He's still taking his walks. But the strikeouts are just way too much right now. He really looks lost. Uh, I think pitchers are kind of catching on to him. He's just He looks lost on the breaking ball. And even some of the fastballs that he's getting right over the heart of the plate, he's just missing them. I don't know if there's uh, any swing mechanical issues you've seen from him, Joe. But, I mean, he just he really looks lost out there. His stat cast metrics, I mean, his hard hit rate is down. Uh, the 50th percentile expected batting average is way low exit velocity is way low very surprising to see this although a lot of people do hit that sophomore slump and hopefully this is just kind of an off year and he can kind of return more to the 2019 form but i mean the mets have a real dilemma here on what they want to do at first base moving forward uh between alonzo and dom yeah, I, I think Pete was primed for a sophomore slump, and and we touched upon that in episode one of the podcast. It was to be expected. I mean, you can't lead the league in home runs with 53, set an all-time rookie record, and expect to exceed that, right? So there was going to be some level of regression from Pete, and I think we're seeing the top of the potential regression. And uh, it's coming in an in awkward season, with the start and stop and the global conditions of, of a global pandemic, I think you're seeing a lot of other uh, top-of-the-line ball players struggling this year as well. Christian Yelich is, is someone that comes to mind. I think they might be batting about the same, I think, 210, 211. Pete is hitting the ball of the park. He has 12 home runs. And if you extrapolate over the course of a 162-game season, um that's on page for it's 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 equates to about a 33 34 home run season which is nothing to really to to be upset about i mean i think 34 35 home runs is something that's very respectable uh when you compare it to his 2019 season it's a it's a stark disparity but he's a he's in his second year in the big leagues these pitchers are gonna figure him out and i think that we're seeing that with his his battle rate being down hard hit rate being down but I think if there is a silver lining, I, he is on pace to have fewer strikeouts than he did in 2019. He struck out 183 times last year. He's on pace for 100, less than 170, which is a, a positive. He's walking less. But um, I, I just think that he is he's a little bit lost. And I think he'll find it in 2021. I think it's just he's going through the natural growth of, of a young ball player. And the league has caught up with him a bit. But I, I think he's hungry enough to be able to correct for that. And I think he's going to have a really, really good bounce back season in 2021. Yeah, uh, I think we could just kind of write off this year for him. I, I'm hoping that we're going to see a bounce back, like you said. I mean, he just I'm looking at some of these numbers. I mean, last year he hit 294 against fastballs. This year he's hitting 218 against fastballs. So it's not even just the breaking balls. He's just not even catching up to the fastballs right now either. So hopefully he can uh, make some changes in the offseason season 
do some put some work in there and we can see him back to that 2019 form next year yeah i mean i, I think for pete I, he's a very uh he's a very emotional guy and i think he definitely plays off of the uh the fans in attendance especially at city field yeah Uh, I think that's that's something that he misses. But I also think that, I mean, I I think for him, it's I think it's it's good that it's happening across a short six game season, where it's it's a smaller sample set, but it's it's less of a track record for him to kind of dwell on. If he's someone that dwells on his performance, I I don't know, I don't know him personally, but I think if if he was going to have this type of of regression, I think it it benefits him more that it's across a 60 game season as opposed to a 162 game season and i think he can go into 2021 knowing that it was a season that was a bit awkward um from multiple multiple perspectives and i think he could start fresh and, and overcome it do you think um like the, the stardom might be getting to him at all I don't know if it's a stardom. I think he's a, a rather um, grounded individual. Yeah, I think he, he really puts a lot of pressure on himself, and he's yeah. a guy that comes from a background where I believe it was it was a, a professor at the University of Florida, or he's someone in high school, a, a teacher in high school, really questioning his ability and his dreams to be a major league ball player, right? And that's what really fed him and and kind of lit his fire and, and kept that going so he's a very determined individual but um i don't know I, I just think that he's he's really pressing i think coming off a season that he had he wants to outdo himself and and i think it's only natural but i think he's going to learn from this season and know to stay within himself and i think we're going to have a a stark different pete alonzo from 2020 as we uh as we look to 2021 in his performance yep Hopefully we can see some uh, some more of the 2019 Alonzo next year. Um, let's touch upon some of the pitching. Obviously, that's kind of been the weak spot for this team. But there has been one positive, and that's been um, our Cy Young, two-time Cy Young winner, possibly a third Cy Young winner in DeGrom. Um, he left his last start with, a, with like a hamstring injury doesn't seem serious because it sounds like he is going to start on Monday if everything goes as expected. I mean, DeGrom is just on another level right now. Um, the wins don't really show it like it never really does, but the other numbers are there. I mean, the, the two, 209 ERA, .93 whip, the strikeouts are just um, out of this world right now. I mean, he's got a 36% strikeout rate. Um, his walk rate is is really low, which you'd love to see. And he just he just looks like the, the Cy Young winner uh, from the past two years, if not even better. Um, he's had some great outings this past few times through the rotation here. I mean, I, do you think we're going to see a third? I mean, I, I was listening to a radio show. I don't remember who it was. I mean, obviously, like Darvish and Bauer are probably the other two guys. I think Darvish took the loss tonight, and Bauer took a loss yesterday. Those are probably the two main guys in the Cy Young race with him. I don't think any of them, they've both pitched very well. I don't think any anybody has done anything to really take over uh, the throne as the best pitcher in baseball. I mean, I think they've done a good job, but I think DeGrom is still right there with them. And just for that alone, I feel like DeGrom should get it for a third consecutive year. 
do you think uh, we're going to see another Cy Young Award in DeGrom's future? And, and what are your thoughts on what we've seen from him this season? It's possible. I, I think Darvish and Bauer are having out-of-this-world seasons. And so was DeGrom up until his last start when he had to leave with what they're describing as a hamstring spasm. Spasm. Uh, yeah, that's a term that they're, that they're using. So uh, I threw two innings. Gave up uh, several earned runs and elevated his ERA from 1.69 to, uh, I think, as you mentioned, 2.09, which... I was going to say the hamstring spasm. I believe I read somewhere that he did pitch through that in the prior start, and he kind of worked through it, and he he did manage to pitch pretty well. So it it might be manageable moving forward. Yeah, I think think he he started to feel the hamstring in his start against Toronto and Buffalo. Yeah, and there he had a great he had a great outing. Um, I think uh, I think we saw the night prior to Degrom's start, um, Jake Arrieta come off the mound with the right hamstring issue as well. Uh, I think him a little bit more severe than Degrom, but maybe there was something with the mound in Philadelphia that kind of exasperated the issue that Degrom was feeling in in uh, Buffalo, in a ballpark that is not a major league ballpark. Um, so I don't know if there was anything with the with the bullpen mound with the uh, the mound on the field that may have uh, led to him feeling this this twinge in his right hamstring, but in Philadelphia it kind of came to light a little bit more and, and knocked him out for two innings. So uh, his ERA went from first in the, in the league to fifth. I still think it's a tight race. I think he's still leading the league in uh, strikeouts. Um. Uh, Wins are kind of a non-factor. I think that's it. Doesn't it doesn't point to the uh, the strength and the uh, the performance that a pitcher has. So I think it's going to come down to the ERA, uh, strikeouts, and possibly WHIP. And Degrom's right there in all of them. Uh, his last start does take him from what was probably a clear-cut favorite to win the Cy Young in, in 2020 to um, not not a fringe player, but someone who's still within the conversation but not be uh, an obvious candidate. So um, I think he's going to make two more starts if, if he is, stays healthy through Monday night and into his final start of the season. So there's there's possi- there's a there's a chance for him to lower his ERA. So anything can happen. I mean, I I, I, I like his chances, though. It's actually a really tight race when you look at it. I mean, we mentioned the three of Bauer, DeGrom, and Darvish, but there's some other young guys that are looking great right now, just to throw a few names out there. Uh, Denelson Lamette looks great, strikeout machine. Max Freed missed uh, missed a few starts uh, due to a back injury, I believe, but he just came back and, and looked pretty good against the Mets. And then one guy that I really like is Corbin Burns. He's kind of figured things out this year. Um, he's just looked great in his last few times through the through the uh, through the rotation there. Um, so those are some names. I mean, Kershaw also kind of looks like he's back to his normal form uh, with a two one five ERA, point seven five WHIP, and Zach Wheeler looking pretty good too. The strikeouts aren't as good as previous years with the Mets, but he looks good. So yeah, it's going right to come far when uh, when you have a, a player leave this franchise. <laughs> yeah, Wheeler having we... the season that he's had, and Darno what he's done this season. So we knew it was going to happen with Wheeler. Um, but yeah, it's going to come down to these next two starts for Degrom. Hopefully, he can stay healthy, and if he does what he's capable of, I, I think he's going to walk away with it. Because I don't think anybody really has just kind of been lights out above him um but we'll see what happens 
with the Grom. Yeah, and I, I think with, with the Grom, he's really reinvented himself, um, which is uh, unbelievable in, in itself. I mean, winning two back-to-back Cy Youngs, his ability to replicate his delivery, and I think he's thrown uh, well over a hundred um, miles an hour far more times than he's ever done in his career. And he's been doing it in one season. Uh, I don't know if that lends itself to uh, more of it just being a short season and him just kind of like emptying the gas tank. But I think it's, it's probably more towards him being so dialed in as a pitcher um, being so in tune with his body and his delivery that it's allowing him to be free and easy and delivering the ball at hundred and 101 miles an hour, which is unbelievable. It's, it's spectacular how he's been able to, to kind of really change him himself as a pitcher and become really dominant from a, an overwhelming power perspective. Yeah, there was a tweet from uh, from Codify Baseball, who's kind of really just getting into the metrics and stuff. Um, a newer account um, that just got started up this year, and they they were highlighting Degrom. And his pitch is 99 miles an hour and above by year. And it's just amazing to see. So 2015, he had three pitches above 99. 2016, zero. 2017, two. 2018, 11 pitches above 99. 2019, he had 35 pitches above 99 miles an hour. And 2020, it's above 125. Like he's definitely made some mechanical changes to the to the point where he's just consistently throwing triple digits, and it's just it's it's unbelievable to see the progression in the past five years from Degrom. You love to see it. Yeah, and if you look at some of his uh, the metrics on Baseball Savant with his release point, I, it's it's he's so like uber consistent, and he releases the ball more or less right in the same location with each and every pitch. And it's not just a, it's not a 25 pitch string. It's across the entire game. And you're talking upwards of 90 to hundred pitches. And he's, he's replicating that delivery. And it, it, that points to him being so in tune with his body, which allows him to throw this, this fastball above 99 miles an hour, over 130 times. I mean, it, it's, it's quite remarkable. He's only getting better, which is, which is, scary for the rest of the league, but super exciting for, for New York, my fans. Yep. Yeah. we got another few years of this and it's, it's exciting stuff, but I'll tell you, it doesn't even look like he's like overpowering, like with his motion, like it just looks effortless and he's throwing 9,900 consistently. It's pretty cool to see. So um, while we're talking about the rotation, let's just touch upon some of these other guys here. We were, we were talking about Lugo before. Um, I know me and you were both, very skeptical of the move to the rotation for Lugo in season. I actually really was in favor of this in the off season when he had time to stretch out. I did not like the idea of Lugo being stretched out mid season and I still don't love it. I'm hoping that I'm hoping this last outing um, was just uh, mechanical or tipping pitches, something along those lines rather than something more serious. Like I said, I wasn't sure if there was a downtick in velocity, which would be a, a big red flag. So I'm going to look into that. But um, he has looked pretty good. He's building up. Um, he's right around like 90 pitches now. I mean, he should be able to go pretty deep into the games if he's healthy. But the thing that really bothers me is we saw Gazelman kind of be uh, transitioned from the bullpen. He, he was battling an injury. Then he came back and they transitioned him to the rotation 
that really did not work out well. And then he ended up being moved back to the bullpen and he got hurt. I think it was an oblique injury out for the year. Um, that's the type of stuff that you that does happen when you see these transitions take place midseason. So it's tough to see Gazelman go out like that. But I'm just I'm I'm hoping and praying that this does not happen with Lugo. He has looked good, but um, we know the type of uh, injury history, the injury history with Lugo with the partially torn UCL. So hopefully it's nothing more serious than that. But what have you seen from uh, from Lugo, Joe, that you uh, are either liking or disliking at this point? I think I was liking everything up until his last start. And I, I think for him, as you may have seen in his press game uh, and his post game presser, it seemed to be just something more mechanical than anything. Uh, he uh, he is pitching with that partially torn UCL. Uh, we're seeing it with Tanaka. Tanaka has it as well, but he's he's. Um, I think with Lugo, I think he is doing what he needs to do to, to be able to stay on the mound and go out there every fifth day. So he, he's managing either uh, he's managing the injury w- really well. Um, but I, I, it's been all on the up and up for him outside of his last start, and, and I think uh, I think it's it's paying off extending him and, and putting him into the rotation. Uh, you mentioned it. I, we were against him doing it during the season. Uh, the situation kind of called for him to be pulled into the rotation, given the injuries to Waka, the injury to Mats, the subpar performance from Porcello. Um, though Porcello did have a, a really, really strong start Sunday night against the Braves. Six innings, 10 strikeouts. His stuff did not look electric, but it was enough to get these Braves hitters out. Um but if he can replicate that in his last start, that's only a, a positive for the Mets in their in their pursuit of the postseason. But um, I think Gazelman, it's it reminds me a lot of uh, Jabba Chamberlain over in the Bronx and yep. the the ushering of him up to the rotation, then back to the bullpen, then to the rotation. And I think Gazelman is a guy who is just he's exhausted. He is tired of not knowing what his role in this team is. And uh, I think he's a guy that is is suffering from the lack of decisiveness on on part of the front office and how they want to handle him. So it's it's tough to see because he's got some really good stuff and he showcased it when he first broke into the league. And um, it's just been unfortunate that they really have, have kind of like toyed with him a bit. Yep, couldn't agree more with you there. Um, we talked about it before. I mean, a one, two, three of Degrom, Lugo, and Peterson when fully healthy is actually a, a very strong one, two, three. It's pretty crazy that David Peterson, I would I would call him like the number two starting pitcher right now for this team, for a guy that started the season in the minors. He probably shouldn't have, but um, this is a guy that very limited AAA experience, no big league experience, and within half of a season, I mean, he's already the second best pitcher on the staff. It kind of shows how poor the rest of our staff is and the poor depth. Uh, that was built around this rotation. Obviously, there were um, some other circumstances, whether it be Syndergaard with Tommy John and Stroman opting out. That doesn't help the situation. But, I mean, Peterson looks great. He put up the the 10K performance on Saturday. Um, Anything else you want to add on Peterson to this point? I I think he kind of covered it all. I mean, he, he had a breakout start against the Braves, six innings, 10 strikeouts. He did have four walks. But he was confident and he was composed on the mound. So I think uh, 
I think you're right in saying that he's probably our number two starter um, under current conditions. And I think he, as, as you mentioned as well, I think he should have started the this, this season on the roster. But um, a couple of other names kind of took the front seat to him. And, and because I think of the contracts that we handed out to Michael Laka and Rick Porcello, that really suppressed uh, Peterson from being on the opening day roster. Yep. He's uh he's looked good when he's had the opportunity. So it's good to see him finally as a fixture in the rotation. Um the other pitcher that I guess we'll talk about here is Edwin Diaz. He um obviously <laughs> he's it's just a whirlwind of emotions when he's on the mound, but it's it's been such a weird year. It feels like it's been a bad year for Diaz, but his numbers are actually really, really good. Um, one six four ERA right now. Um, he's just striking out a ton of batters. Um, he's got he's striking out fifty percent of the batters that he's facing. That leads the league. It's the top one percent of the league right now. <clears throat> um, he's just he's striking everybody out, but it just doesn't seem like there is an inning that goes by that it's just like. A one, two, three inning. Like it just, it's a stressful experience every time Edwin Diaz takes the mound. And I still, I mean, this is with no fans. Like imagine if fans were in the stands. Like I feel like it would be much worse. But it's just still, it's a very nerve wracking experience. And it's tough because when Lugo's not in the pen now, I mean, he is the guy um, that we're relying on at the back end of this bullpen. But his numbers, his, his stack cast metrics are off the charts right now. Um, his strikeouts are just insane. Um, he's getting the job done, but, um, it's not the easiest experience. Uh, what are, what are your thoughts on, on Diaz so far? I know we've been super critical of Diaz in previous episodes, but, uh, I don't, I don't know. What do you think? <laughs> I think, I think super critical, rightfully so, given his 2019 campaign. Uh, he's been a whirlwind of, of emotions. It's been a roller coaster ride with Diaz. Uh, but his his stats and his advanced stats are just really off the charts, as you mentioned. Uh, he's at the top of the league in a lot of those advanced metrics with uh, uh, K per nine uh, strikeout rate. Um, I mean, he his K, is his K per nine is over nineteen. Which yeah, is I've got I've got nineteen point two Ks per nine, which is uh, it's it's insane, absolutely insane. And what's impressive is his his home runs per nine. I mean, last season it was two point three home runs per nine innings. He's down to under one. He's 0.8 home runs per nine, which is a stark difference from his 2019 campaign. And But again, we as Mets fans are, are used to having a ninth inning guy who really makes us very nervous. Uh, it goes back to Armando Benitez. Benitez. <laughs> <laughs> uh, more recently, even with Familia. Um and, and his inability to have a clean inning and then putting runners not just on first base, but in scoring position. Uh, so Diaz, it's it's been it's been a it's been a really a really crazy ride for him. And look, if he can sustain this going into 2021, uh, having uh, fewer difficult innings, some high stress leverage innings, then I think he's he's earned the right to have <laughs> to have the ball handed to him in the ninth inning going forward. But um, uh, it's it's <laughs> I, I called for his at the beginning of the year as did most Met fans. And I think he's, uh, he's been proving me wrong 
um, day in, day out, and he's, he's pitching very, very well. Yeah, he his numbers are there right now. It's it's interesting. He he is striking out more batters than last year. Last year was about fifteen per nine. This year it's nineteen per nine case per nine. But he's also walking more batters this year. Last year it was around three four walks, three point four walks per nine. This year it's about five point three walks per nine. And one thing that I noticed in in his pitch mix. Um, he was throwing his his slider uh, last year 33% of the time. This year he's throwing the slider about 37% of the time. So he's we've seen an uptick in slider usage and a downtick in four-seam fastball usage. Last year was 65% compared to 45% this year. So he's clearly made some changes. It seems to be working. Uh, the control is still a concern. Um, if he can figure that out, then we might be able to see that uh that mariners edwin diaz of uh of 2018 um but yeah i mean he, it's clear that he still has the electric stuff he just needs to be able to kind of gather all that and just yeah he just needs to figure it out pretty much yeah i think the biggest effect on his uh his, his positive 2020 season has been the fact that there's been no one in the stands <laughs> i think that's that's played a huge part yeah. in him being able to uh, kind of compose himself on the mound and not have to deal with a, a rowdy crowd behind him, whether it's at home or away. Yeah, that is uh, a little concerning for 2021. But it, as much as we like to give give him crap, Diaz, he's actually he's done pretty well in the past month since we last spoke. He's really actually put together a nice campaign here. And it'll be nice to see him kind of continue that, um, especially after the trade. Um, that he was involved in, we need him to be a key piece for us for years to come. Yeah, we, I mean, we weren't fair on him to from the jump with uh, the dealing of Kellenic and Justin Dunn to Seattle. Um, but uh, he, he's been proving us wrong in the, the latter half of this season. And, and as I said, I think he, he deserves to have the ball handed to him uh, in the ninth inning with a lead in, in 2021 until proven otherwise. I think I speak for all Mets fans. We would just we would just like more one two three innings, uh, a more seamless inning, like without having a heart attack every time because it's so stressful. Uh, I think it was Friday or Saturday night he pitched and just walked like the bases loaded or basically he came in with the bases loaded. I don't know. It was just it was super stressful, and I would just like to not have to deal with that every time he's pitching. <laughs> but that kind of wraps up the. Um, the players that we wanted to touch upon. We did get a, um, a question on Twitter from our buddy, Ben. Uh, we asked for some Twitter questions. We'll, we'll do this next, the next time we're going to record as well. By the way, we, we, we kind of talked about doing either a bi-weekly or a monthly show. And it's kind of just with the way the season's gone. It's been a weird season. We kind of elected to do the, the monthly episode. So, um, this is only our third episode, but it's been a while since we last recorded. But moving forward, we might put out like a tweet asking for some questions or just comments that you guys want us to talk about on the next show. So we'll do that moving forward. But we did have a question from our buddy Ben um, that we're going to just try and answer real quickly here. Um, ben asked, let's assume that Steve Cohen wants to implement his own staff and Brody is let go. If you're the new GM, what are the core pieces you build around going forward? So the first two 
that he gives us here are Jimenez or Rosario. I'm assuming as the uh, the long term answer at shortstop. Um, personally, I, I think Jimenez really has played himself into that role this season. He looks fantastic defensively, which is something that we really have not had in a, a very, very long time. It kind of brings back Ray Ardonia's vibes, uh, seeing Jimenez at short. So I would love to see him as the long-term fixture at shortstop. What I would really like to see them do with Rosario, I would like for them to experiment with him in center field in the in spring training 2021. He's got the speed. Uh, he might be able to cover some ground out there. We do not have a true center fielder on this roster. Nimmo is not, he's actually one of the worst defensive outfielders in the league this year. So we need to kind of figure that out, but I'd be curious to see if Rosario could possibly make that transition to center field. We know shortstops are some of the best athletes on the field, and it could be interesting to see them try out Rosario in center field. Um, That's not something that I would do mid season. I think this is something that you put in a lot of off season work for, and spring training is a perfect time to see if it can actually be a feasible option. So if I had my choice, I would like to see Jimenez as the shortstop moving forward and maybe give Rosario a chance in center field. If we see Rosario, maybe it's just not working. I, I think I think he needs to be trade bait at this point. We haven't seen Rosario play any other position. We haven't seen him at third or second. And those positions kind of seem locked up. So I think outfield should be something that we look into for Rosario or possible trade bait. What do you think, Joe? Yeah, I think that's a that's an option for him. Uh, you mentioned having uh, we don't have a true center fielder at the moment. We would be going from one non-true center fielder to another non-true center fielder. Yeah. Um, I think it it would be a stab at trying to establish some value in Rosario. I think with the emergence of Jimenez. Uh, Jimenez it really diminishes the value that Rosario has for this ball club. And it would be a bit of a, a, a sell low type of scenario if we were to deal Rosario in any type of, uh, in any type of transaction. So I think he's the, the odd man out. Jimenez has been able to really play a great defense and, and remind us of uh, Ray Ardones. But uh, from an offensive perspective, he's been, he's been very good offensively too. He's, he's, he's a great knowledge of the strike zone. He's getting on base um, via the wall. He can take a walk. (laughs) Which Rosario cannot do right now. He's he's regressed severely in that department. So um, he's a guy that with each passing day loses value. We've talked previously about Rosario. Um, I think it was our first episode. We said we would love to see Rosario be able to get on base and kind of uh, take over at the top of the order if he was able to take his walks. He clearly has not done that, so he does not deserve to be at the top of the order. Um, but do, do you think that they, you could see a transition to the outfield, or do you think that's pretty unlikely? I think it's a last-ditch effort to try to restore some value in this guy. Um, if, if I had my, if I if it, if it was up to me, I'd have a legitimate center fielder patrolling that vast outfield that we have at, at City Field. So um, I don't want to go from someone who is an outfielder in Brandon Nimmo to someone who's not an outfielder and putting them in, in that in that territory. Um, but it would be a really interesting way to try to establish some value in Rosario. Yep. The next one that Ben gives us is uh, one that we were talking about earlier, Dom Smith or Pete Alonzo as the long-term first baseman. I'll let you go first on this one, Joe. What are your, what are your thoughts on the first baseman of the Mets moving forward? 
Look, I mean, I think if, if you're looking at just that first base and first base alone, I think you have to go with Pete Alonso. But because we have the uh, the implementation of the full-time DH in the National League, there's no reason why you can't have both. I mean, you can have your cake and eat it too with both uh, Dom Smith and Pete Alonso. And um, I think uh, I think both are interchangeable within the first base role and then the DH role. And I think it's a it's a perfect fit, perfect marriage for those two guys. Yeah, the D, the universal DH just really fits this team perfectly with these guys. Imagine if we did not have the DH, it really would have been a struggle to get these guys playing time. You probably would have seen Dom Smith in, in left field most days. And Dom Smith really is, he's still not great defensively out in left field. It's not something that you want to see him there full time. But uh, like you said, I think they're going to definitely try to cycle these two in and out during the week um, between first base and DH. You may see a spot start with Dom Smith in left field, but um, I mean Dom was really the superior defender to Alonzo. But I think it would, I think it could hurt Alonzo to um, to take him out of playing in the field every day. I think it might get him out of his routine. So um, I think cycling cycling these two between first and DH is is the long term option if you don't move one of them. Yeah, if you think about the emotional side of the game as well, uh, they're best friends, as we talked about before. So if, if one were to to be without the other, I think that would uh, that may not be a, a positive on their ability to play this game at a high level. So, yep. Next one is JD Davis. We really haven't touched upon him yet, but he does. Uh, he's been hitting pretty well this season. Um, he's kind of been the best addition of Brody Van Wagen's tenure, I would say. Um, he's still, he, he's not playing the best defense at third. Uh, I think he's probably better than McNeil at third base, but uh, Ben's asking where, where does JD fit in this lineup? And uh, it's tough. I, I think he's probably third baseman right now. Uh, he just really didn't look great on left field. Um, obviously DH is kind of taken up between Dom or Alonzo at this point. So I think you got to try him out at third base, um, possibly next season, maybe just kind of give him that job, um, and have McNeil slot in more in, in the outfield and McNeil looked really lost at third base. So I think JD, if he can get maybe some more full-time work, um, working on his craft at third base, I think that could be a good fit, whether he's, a a fixture for this team for the next like five years or so that I'm not sure. I don't know if he's like a long-term option for the Mets. Uh, what do you think, Joe? I'd agree. I mean, short-term wise, yeah, I think he's a fit. Um, long-term, I think that's still kind of uh, in, in question, but I mean, do you ask the question, can he catch? <laughs> do you put him behind the plate? <laughs> um, he's a big enough body that maybe, maybe you could do it, but uh uh, he's, he's got the feel of being a little bit of an odd man out. Uh, his left field play is, is quite subpar, and um, third base is definitely his, his strongest suit. But if it wasn't for his offensive prowess, I, I think he's a guy that he's, he's on your bench, but offensive, he's, he's, he's a weapon. So you want to try to get him in there as often as possible. But um, short-term and very short-term, I do see him as a fit. But I don't know what we could expect from him uh, from a, a roster component or makeup standpoint really beyond 2021. I think it's still, uh, I think it's up in the air. 
Yeah, I'm not sure he's one of the guys that you want to build this team around. Um, he's a nice uh, complimentary piece, but not somebody that I want to build the team around. Somebody that I would want to build the team around is Conforto. We talked about it before. I think this is probably at the top of the to-do list for Cohen and giving Conforto an extension. I mean, I think this is this is one of the young core players that we've brought up through the system that we need to build around. And yeah, I mean, I think we both agree, right? Yeah, I don't. I don't know if Scott Boris will agree, but um, I, I do think he he needs to be locked up uh, for from a long term perspective. He he's a guy that we as Met fans deserve to be in the middle of this lineup for the long term, uh, especially given given the the season he's had. He's he's earned it. He's homegrown. He's young, and I. Not just his play on the field, but off the field, he speaks very well, and I think he's just an all around, all around great individual. So I, he fits the mold of someone that deserves to be in New York for a long, long time. Something that I did not realize was like when they were doing all the protests and everything, those couple of games, he was like the team leader. I don't know if he's the team spokesman, the team ambassador, but he's actually very well spoken, and he he seems like he really has a ton of leadership qualities, which is another reason alone to just lock this guy up long term yeah i believe he's the player rep for the union so player rep that's the word i was looking for the title i was looking for um but yeah conforto is somebody that we definitely need to lock up um another guy on the outfield is is brandon nimmo like i said before um i think he's he's one of the worst defensive outfielders in all of major league baseball this season um and that's not just me. That's not my opinion. There was factual proof. I just don't have it in front of me. Uh, I saw somewhere that he was defensively, metric-wise, one of the worst defensive outfielders. Um, he's really, he's not a center fielder. He's a corner outfielder. Um, is this a corner outfielder that the Mets should build around for years to come? Now, the question is, obviously, Conforto, we've, we've said that we want to extend him. He's a fixture in right field, most likely. Um, I'm just going to combine these two with, with Nimmo and McNeil. The question for McNeil is what position? Um, I think right now, if you have J.D. Davis at third, obviously Cano really unfortunately can't go anywhere other than second base, um, especially with, with Dom and Alonzo alternating between DH. So you've got Conforto. Uh, you've got Cano in, at second base for the next few years. you got J.D. Davis at third. So I think that kind of these Jeff McNeil to be your left fielder with Conforto in right field. And does that make Nimmo the odd man out? In my opinion, it kind of does. What do you, what do you think, Joe? I agree with you. Uh, he's been put in a tough position, uh, not being a, a true center fielder. Um, his offense has been able to kind of keep his ability to be on the field uh, uh, in play. He gets on base at a really good clip. Um, but from a defensive metric standpoint, yes, he, statistically he's the worst center fielder in the game of baseball. But I, I think he is he's probably going to be the odd man out as opposed to a um, I mean, he might I don't know, he, he might be the, the guy that is the fit maybe going into 2022, depending on what this uh, what this new front office is going to do with the makeup of this roster. But um I don't see I don't see Nimmo being a guy that's a long term solution. I, I mean, I'd I'd pick 
Jeff McNeil in left field over a Brandon Nimmo in left field? What I could see happening, I mean, Nimmo's under contract for a few more years here, but I could see Nimmo kind of holding down the fort in center field until maybe some of these young kids are ready to go. Um, the first round pick, Pete Crow Armstrong, is a, uh, is a very strong defender in center field. I think that is our long term center fielder of the future. Um, I think Nimmo could just be a placeholder until he's ready. But the problem is, I mean, Pico Armstrong is not going to be ready for a few years. I mean, he just came out of high school. You're looking at probably, I would say, at least three years until we see him um, ready to make an impact at the big league level. But I think this has been a problem for the Mets the past few years. They just have not had a true center fielder that can contribute offensively. I really think Nimmo is kind of like a, a fourth outfielder, which I would really like him in that role. Um, coming off the bench, whether it be as a pinch hitter, pinch runner. Um, but he's just he's just not the long-term center fielder for this team. It should be interesting to see if Cohen maybe makes a run at a guy like Starling Marte or another proven center fielder. Problem is, or George Springer even. Uh, the problem is some of these outfielders like Springer, Marte, they're getting older. Like, Ideally, they probably are going to be moving off center field in the years to come and moving to a corner outfield spot. So it's a it's a tough position to find. So I think we're lucky in the fact that we do have a young kid coming up in the system that's going to be a great defensive center fielder. But I, I, I think Nimmo is the odd man out at the corner outfield spot. Yeah, I, I agree. I think what, what the, the situation that we're in today is a direct result of the extension that we gave to Juan Lagares. Um, <laughs> I think that he and and his uh, his space on, on payroll kind of kind of kept that center field position as something that we weren't able to fill with a legitimate. Um, a legitimate player. It, it was unfortunate that Lagares had to deal with injuries um, right after he signed that long-term deal. But I think that's a direct result of why Nimmo is where he is right now in center field. And we don't have a legitimate solution um, in the form of a, of a center fielder who's been a center fielder for, for a long period of time. Yep. The good thing is we, we do have a lot of good pieces in place. We just need to figure out what to do with them if we need to to move them uh that's really been our problem in years past is um just not moving guys when their value is at their peak um we've seen so many times in the past for top prospects that come up they don't live up to expectations and then all their trade value is gone uh one that comes to mind like lasting's millage um just an uber prospect that did not pan out and then he was traded away within like a season or two um so we need to figure out what to do with these guys, specifically Rosario. I think Rosario is probably the biggest piece of the puzzle is to figure out what to do with him. Um, so Steve Cohen, Brody, they have some big decisions to make. Whether or not Brody is involved in those decisions next year, only Steve Cohen knows that. But um, no, it was good to get back on the mic, Joe, and, and talk about some of this stuff here. We haven't talked Mets baseball in a while. It's Like I said before, it's been such a weird season I don't know about you, but me personally, I've just been like not into it nearly as much as I have in the past. It's just been a weird season with um, with obviously the pandemic going on and just other personal things going on. It's just it's just hard to think about. It's just hard to think about baseball with everything going on. 
So it's good to get back and talk about Mets baseball, even though it's probably going to be over in about a week. And we'll definitely keep this grind going in the off season. We're gonna we're gonna have some guests on in the off season. We're gonna have um, a prospect guest on in the future, and we'll talk about the Mets farm system, which I think will be fun. And um, yeah, we'll try. We'll definitely try and get back on before forty eight days again. <laughs> but it's um, but yeah, the season is coming to a close, and um. So yeah, thanks for for joining us for episode three here. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at BraffZ. Uh, you can follow Joe on Twitter at Joseph Fesco. Joe, is there anything you want to add before we uh, wrap it up here? No, I mean it was it was good to get back on and talk Mets baseball with you after forty eight days. A lot has taken place, and more will be taking place in the future. So I'm looking forward to the transition and the eventual approval of Steve Cohen. Um, what he's going to do with this offense, uh, uh, this organization, and uh, it's 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 going to be an exciting offseason. I think more exciting than we've ever had as as Met fans, and and I mean in in our thirty thirty one years. So yeah, it'll be nice to see the Mets hopefully spend some money in the offseason, and I think we might just we might have to have an emergency press conference once Cohen is approved by the owners, and uh, just just I don't know, just scream for joy because it's. It's very exciting to be gone from the Will Ponds here. But once again, thank you everybody for joining us, and we'll uh, we'll speak to you guys soon.